morning, church family, on this Passion Sunday of Holy Week. The Lord is good to us on this glorious sunny day. Today is uh, reading is Mark 11, 1 through 11, on page 795. Page 795. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethanage and Bethania at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and the others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who had went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethania with the twelve. The word of the Lord. Those of us who live here in the United States least once every four years, have an opportunity to see something that would be really considered pretty glitzy, pretty ostentatious, pretty majestic. We get to see an inaugural of the President of the United States. And so those of you who've seen it on TV, you know it's big crowds, lots of pomp, lots of glamour, lots of power, something that's really appropriate, as it were, for someone who is often considered to be the most powerful individual in the world. And so that is something we would expect for a king. That is something that we would hope would be the introduction of a king. But Jesus is a unique king. He's a different king. He's totally separate from other people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time, for this opportunity to look into your word. And we pray, Father, that as we do, you would give us insight into who Jesus is. We might come to understand him more deeply, praise and trust and love, and be amazed by him more truly. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're actually going to move backwards today. Those of you who have been here with us this whole time know that we've been going through the Gospel of Mark pretty much verse by verse, chapter by chapter, chapter by chapter, and yet as we've moved forward, we skipped a paragraph. We skipped that paragraph because that paragraph happens to be what we are celebrating today. 
The Gospel of Mark for us has been an opportunity for us to be amazed by Jesus. If you go all the way back to the very first verse of the book, Mark explains to us exactly what his gospel is about. He says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so we understand that, we see that, we understand that this is a gospel, it's a theological biography, it's proclaiming to us, explaining to us who Jesus is, but you notice the other two titles, the Son of God, we'll deal with that, we can understand what that is. What does it mean to be Messiah? What does it mean to be Christ? So before we actually get into what is happening today as we celebrate Palm Sunday, as we learn about Jesus being a unique king, let's go back and think a little bit about what the Old Testament says about this coming Messiah. There's a whole bunch of verses in the Old Testament that are considered messianic. And if I threw all those up there, we would be done with the sermon and we could all go home. I've chosen just a couple of them because I want you to see legitimately what the people of Israel at that time could be hoping for in this coming individual. So for instance, in Genesis 49, verse 10, way back at the beginning of the Pentateuch, Moses as he is, excuse me, yeah, Abraham as Jacob, get it right, Ken. My mind is blank here. Jacob, as he is blessing his kids, says this to Judah. The scepter, scepter, that staff that is for the king, shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute come to him. Please notice the next phrase. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. A universal, worldwide king. A legitimate expectation for the Messiah. Numbers, chapter 24, verse 17. This is a unique person talking. This is a false prophet, as it were. This is a a witch, a warlock named Balaam. He's seeing a vision. He's seeing a whole slew of visions, a series of visions about Israel. And in his last vision, without even stopping, as it were, trusting in what he is seeing, he says this, I see him, but not now. I behold him but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. A ruler, a powerful king, one who will deal with their enemies. A very legitimate expectation for the Messiah. Let's keep going. Next one, Second Samuel 7. David, as he is receiving his covenant promises from God about his kingdom, God says this to David, I will raise up your offspring after you. I will establish his kingdom. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So this Messiah... This anointed one, this king that they are expecting, is going to be universal. He is going to take care of their enemies. His throne, his kingdom is going to be forever. And then our last one from Isaiah 9. Often we read this during Christmas time. 
We read verse 6, because we're talking about unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. 9-7 says this, Of the increase, the expansion of his government, and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So an eternal kingdom, one that will rule over the nations, one that will deal with their enemies, one that will be forever, and a kingdom of what? A kingdom of peace, of righteousness, and of justice. That was a legitimate biblical Old Testament expectation of the Messiah. So as Jesus has gone on his ministry, he is now approaching Jerusalem. Crowds are following him. At least in their mind, a legitimate expectation, is this the Messiah? Could this be the Messiah? But what's interesting about Jesus is he is a unique, he's a different king, a unique king. Chapter 11 of Mark, verses 1 to 3. We learn this about him. He is one who is totally in charge. Totally in charge. Not what we live with most of our political leaders today. Notice what he says. As they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethania, near the Mount of Olives. So that's no, now we know where we're at here. We're approximately 12 to 15 miles outside of the city of Jerusalem. He sends two of his disciples, and notice what he says. Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter the village, you will find a colt tied there, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You should say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately He will send it back here. What are some of the interesting things about this? This sense of the omniscience, as it were, of this individual we call Jesus. This individual who is the king, who is the Messiah. He has not been there. He has not gone there. In my opinion, that's the implication totally of this passage. He says, go into this village, and as you enter this village, what are you going to see? You will find a colt tied there. What's interesting about that expression In Greek, it's like the colt is just sitting there, waiting there. He's been tying. He's been sitting there for a while. He's waiting. This colt is waiting. But there's an interesting factor about this colt. What does it say? He's tied there on which no one has ever sat. This colt has never been used. He's never been ridden upon. The very first individual that is going to sit on this colt is Jesus. I don't think I'm taking a big stance when I say this colt, that concept, that concept of being set apart for God makes this colt uniquely holy. He's just for Jesus. He's been bound there. He's waiting. Jesus knows this. 
He tells his disciples this. Notice what else happens in verse 3. Recognizing what will happen. This is a colt that someone else owns. The colt is tied there waiting. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You should say, the Lord has need of it. Two things about that phrase. First of all, the definite article with the word Lord only appears twice so far in this book. Twice. Jesus has actually used it one time when he's talked about himself being Lord of the Sabbath, but he did not specifically tie it with a definite article. But it is found in, Mount, excuse me, in Mark chapter 5, after the demoniac has been healed. And Jesus says, Go to your home and tell to the others what the Lord has done for you. The Lord has done for you. It's important for us to understand that this Greek word kurios is used in the Old Testament to translate a Hebrew word. Do you know what the word is? Yahweh. Yahweh. The Lord has done for you. Did the demoniac perfectly understand what that means? I don't know. But Mark wants us to understand what that means. Jesus is saying that about himself. What the Lord has done. Now he comes here and he says this the second time in this book. The Lord has need of it. Now we know Jesus has been on this trip for quite a while. We saw it beginning actually way back in Luke for instance, Luke 9, all the way to Jerusalem. This has gone on for several kilometers. Jesus is not an individual that we would expect to be tired. He is not a man of great energy. The Lord does not have need of this animal because he is tired. Why does he have need of it? Why is it necessary for this donkey, this young colt, to be brought to Jesus? Find out. Verses 4 to 11, 4 to 10. It is interesting. We talk about Jesus being a unique king. He is praised and he is treated, as it were, as a king. Why do I say that? They went away, verse 10, and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street and they untied it. Just like Jesus has said. You can imagine what these disciples are thinking. Really? There's going to be a colt. I mean, there's probably a lot of colts out there. How do we know which colt it is? You can imagine the colt is just sitting there tied, waiting, perked up his eyes, looking. Oh, that's the one. They go, they untie him in obedience to what Jesus says. Verse 5, some of the bystanders were saying to them, just like Jesus said, what are you doing? Untying the colt. And they spoke to them just as Jesus had said. So they said, what? The Lord has need of him. And the people said, okay, take the colt. Amazing, isn't it? Most of us would say, what? What do you mean the Lord has? You're not going to take my colt. He's my colt. I use him for various other purposes. No, they let them go. Total obedience, as it were, by these people as they walk in following what Jesus says, to do this unique task that at first would seem kind of strange. Why are we going to get a colt? We've never had to go get a colt for Jesus. 
He obviously doesn't need it because he's tired. What are we going to get a colt for? Yet they still obeyed and followed. Notice as we continue on. Verse 7. They bring the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on the colt. We'll come back and pick up what that means, the significance of that. Obviously, this is the first time this colt has ever been sat upon. We read in Matthew, actually, there were two that were bought. Most likely the colt's mother, most likely the colt himself. Why would that be important? Because if the colt has never been sat upon, all of you who have ridden horses and everything know that that's a pretty difficult thing to do. And yet, Jesus, the one who is the Messiah, the one that we read about in Isaiah 11, who will then rule nature such that the bear and the lion will lay down together, Jesus can control this colt. Jesus can sit on this colt and the colt will be perfectly fine. It says this about what the people did. They laid their coats down on it, on the colt. Notice also verse 8. Many spread their coats in the road and others spread leafy branches which they had cut from the fields. What does that signify for us? What does the coats and the branches show for us? That's the wrong verse. It's 2 Kings 9, 13. Sorry about that. Interesting, in the verse in 2 Kings, we have one of the most interesting kings, Jehu. And as he is presented before the people, the people line the stairway with their coats. This is a sign of homage to a king. This is a sign of honor to someone when you lay your coats before them so that these people can walk, as it were, on a carpet as they are coming into the city. These people are actually honoring Jesus as a king. Did they understand him that way? Did they know him fully as the Messiah? Were all of their expectations of the Messiah perfectly put together? No. We'll find out why here in just a minute. But Mark, the key thing for us is this is what Mark wants us to understand. This is what the text of Scripture is telling us about. And for us to understand that is Important. So not only that, not only are they laying their coats down, notice what they say in verse 9. Those who were in front and those who were following. So those who are in front are those coming out of the city. Those who are following are those with Jesus. So this big crowd comes together, and what do they say? They're going to repeat verses that are found in Psalm 118. Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. A psalm that is often spoken and recited during Pentecost. A psalm that might have been set up, as it were, established during the Feast of Tabernacles. But during the Feast of Passover, not Passover, they come and say these things to people as they are entering into the city. So this is a normal expectation. During Passover, as this time, these are the types of things that are recited, and yet there's something significant about these verses. More so than they have been for any other Passover time. Notice what the verses say. Hosanna. Hosanna is actually a transliteration of the Hebrew word Hoshana, which probably means save, please. Or comes to simply be an acclamation of, as it were, of praise. But the key thing is what the verb itself means normally in Hebrew. It means to save. It's the normal word that we get for Isaiah or Joshua or Jesus' name itself. Please save. We ask you to save. We beg you to save. Hoshana. 
Blessed or praised is he who comes in the name of Yahweh. That would be something that would be said to the people as they're approaching Jerusalem for Pentecost by those people in Jerusalem as they invite them, as they welcome them. And yet here, it has to mean much more. It has to be more deeply significant. At least Mark wants us to understand that. Were these people just saying something by rote memory? Or were they saying something specific? We don't know. What matters is what Mark wants us to see. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the one representing the Lord, the one who comes for the purpose of what Yahweh wants. Blessed is the coming king of our father, David. So we tie. That verse is not found, as it were, in Psalm 118. These people are talking not only about Jesus as a Messiah. They're recognizing there is a potential kingdom that is coming. Again, did they put it all together perfectly? No. Did they understand it all perfectly? No. They had expectations that were all mixed up. What they actually had to do was put that together along with the suffering servant and recognize what Jesus was going to do on the cross was significant before the kingdom could be set up. Did they grasp that? No. Was it illegitimate for them to think about Jesus as a political leader, one who would deliver them from their enemies? No, it was legitimate. It had been spoken of in the Old Testament. They just didn't put it all together perfectly. And they conclude by saying, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. I want you to see What happened in Luke chapter 19? In Luke chapter 19, as Jesus is coming into the city and these things are being spoken, it says this, verse 38. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees, those religious leaders in the crowd, said to him, Teacher, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now why, I ask you, why, if Psalm 118 is recited at Pentecost, If Psalm 118 and the statements that we just read are often said to those people who are coming to worship the Lord, coming as it were to do things for the purpose of the Lord, and is given as a greeting to everybody that is coming in to Passover, why would these Pharisees say, rebuke your disciples, silence your disciples? Because they know something. They know that in Psalm 118, verse 25, before it says, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, it is being addressed to Yahweh. There's a recognition on the part of these leaders that these people are saying something that potentially should only be directed, and they are wondering, they are concerned, they're going to be thinking this person is the Messiah. There is a problem here. There is a problem here. And Jesus says that even if they were to be silent, the stones themselves would cry out. What a wonderful statement that is about the power of who this individual is, this unique king, that even nature, even voiceless things of nature would praise and honor. 
Let's come back and pick up this concept. Why does the Lord have need of the young colt? Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah chapter 9 has a prophecy. First part of the chapter talks about what Alexander the Great is going to be doing in the world. Zechariah chapter 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey. Humble and mounted on a donkey. The Lord has need of the donkey. The Lord has need of the colt because he must fulfill this passage. He must fulfill the role of the king. Notice what it says in verse 10. I will cut off the chariots from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the bow of war will be cut off and he will speak peace to the nations and his dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. What an amazing statement. Picking up on who the Messiah is, understanding that this Messiah, this unique king, this different king, truly will rule the world. All nations shall bow down to him and yet his coming This one who brings justice and righteousness and peace, his coming is not on a war horse. It's not in a war chariot. It's on a young donkey. The Lord has need in order to fulfill that role. If you look at John chapter 12, you will see John pick up that verse. And in John chapter 12, It very clearly indicates the people had no idea what all of this meant. His disciples did not put all of this together perfectly. It wasn't until the resurrection, when they finally understood who Jesus truly was, and the Spirit of God revealed all of this and put it all together for them, that they were able to understand even the donkey passage, that he had fulfilled that. And yet Mark wants us understand that Jesus is a unique and different king. So what does that mean for us today? What does it mean for us in terms of how we are to live differently? So the first thing I would say is this, if that is true that he is a king, if it is true that he truly is the individual that he claims to be in this gospel, that Mark shows him to be in this gospel, that He is truly and complete man and true and complete God, that He is the Savior and He is the Lord. He's the one prophesied of. He's the one who fulfills these prophecies. He is the one who will die on the cross. Then all of us need to trust in Him and follow Him. We do recognize that a lot of people misunderstood. A lot of people missed what was going on. God didn't want us to miss Poured out these prophecies one by one by one by one by one. Mark doesn't want us to miss. As you read this book, Mark is constantly pointing us back to one thing. He is Lord. He is the Savior. He is the King. Believe and trust in Him. Worship Him. And so with all of the things that we focus on this week, rightfully so, the death and the resurrection of Christ, Recognize it is the death and resurrection of Christ, of the King, of Jesus. Because that's 
That's the most important thing. Secondly, there will be a kingdom. He will establish a kingdom. John chapter 3, verses 3 and 5. Very famous passage. All of us have memorized it. Jesus says, Amen, amen, I say unto you, what? You cannot begin to see the kingdom of God unless you are what? Born again. I would even suggest that Jesus is saying born from above, and Nicodemus misunderstood it, since the Greek word can mean above or again. You have to be born from above. You have to be spiritually born. You have to be regenerated. You have to trust in Christ. And for those of us here who have done that, praise God. We have seen, we have entered into, as it were, the kingdom of God. For those of you who don't know that, who have never seen that, who have never trusted in Christ, this is your call. This is your invitation today. To place your confidence in Christ and not in yourself. To place your confidence in Christ and not in your religious upbringing or your good works or your knowledge or anything else. To turn your back on all those things and to trust entirely in Him. And thirdly, 1 Peter 2.9 was the verse that we read at the beginning of our worship today. I want to read it again because I think it's an important thing tied into what the people did on this day. 1 Peter 2, chapter 9 says this, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. We are connected to the king. A royal priesthood. A holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Please notice the next phrase. The purpose for all of this. The purpose for us being united with Christ, the purpose of us being this chosen people is in order that we may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us from darkness into His light. The whole concept of us is to be as excited about who Jesus is as those people were on that day. When Jesus entered the the city, Proclaiming Him as blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, save us. For us to have that same excitement. Think about us as we are excited about U of M or Michigan State or our political people. How much excitement we get into all of that. And then all of a sudden here's an opportunity for us to talk about Jesus. And we That's what this is about. You are saved so that you can talk about the excellencies and the praises of God Himself. What a great, wonderful thing that is. Everybody recognizes it's hard. We all recognize it's hard. Maybe if we would push on our excitement meter, our excitement meter, such that the things, what is it that makes me excited? What is it that really engages my emotions? Why is it not Him? S.M. Lockerbie was a man years ago who preached a sermon about his king. About his king. I'd like you to listen to that sermon now as a concluding, concluding, concluding part of our sermon. Jesse, see if it'll work. Do you know him? Do you know him? 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to see this unique and different king. Thank you, Father, for who Jesus is, for what he has accomplished for us. Father, we pray that we would truly understand, truly revel in knowing who he is, that we might recognize that it is for that reason that we have been saved, that we might proclaim excitedly his kingdom, the excellencies of the one who has died and risen from the dead. We pray these things in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen.